What's going on, coaches? Uh, hopefully you guys are doing well this season, uh, enjoying your season as all of us do during the season, and hopefully you're enjoying the podcast as well. Maybe when you guys are breaking down film or getting your early morning workouts in, I know you guys are busy, but hopefully you guys are, are um, enjoying listening to us, listening to us talk, and listening to us talk to some uh, some amazing, really, really smart coaches. Uh, on this episode of the podcast, uh, it is sponsored by Guardian Caps. Guardian Caps are soft shell helmet covers that reduce impact during practice. They're worn by over 1,000 high schools like mine at Broken Arrow and Coach Walls over at Ankeny, and over 100 colleges like Clemson, Texas, Oklahoma, and Iowa State. Most programs utilize them for their guys in the box to, to address the repetitive, subconcussive blows that add up throughout the season or an athlete's career. In fact, you can see what Lincoln Riley has to say about uh, the Guardian Caps in the linked articles on our show notes on runthepower.com. They're also great for body blows, helmets to knees, hips, quarterbacks' hands, all while keeping the helmets looking good for game day and protecting speed flexes from cracking. Check out guardiancaps.com and request a quote for great team pricing. This episode is also brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to athletics programs around the country. Whether you write your own program, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program more efficient, more accountable, and smarter when it comes to measuring your team's effort in the weight room. Visit their website and start a 14-day free trial. And right now, Team Builder is offering coaches a complimentary in-season football strength program. As you may recall, the New England Patriots squat up to 90% of their one-rep max deep into the playoffs. If your in-season strength and conditioning is to just maintain, then you're doing it wrong. You can get the template once you start a 14-day trial with Team Builder. Just reach out to them and tell them that you heard it from us and the podcast. Go visit Team Builder at teambuilder.com, which is team, B-U-I-L-D-R.com. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by the always powerful Sideline Power. Uh, Sideline Power offers a cutting-edge technology and innovation. Sideline Power helps coaches around the country elevate their programs to the next level with new and used headsets, end-zone cameras, drones, portable sound systems, timers, and much, much more. Sideline Power works one-on-one with some of the most influential coaches and nationally ranked programs in high school football. They continue to help coaches push the envelope of player and program development. From NFL-level coaching communications to cutting-edge video technology, Sideline Power encompasses a full array of products needed to unleash the full potential of any program. Throughout the expansion of the product offering, Sideline Power has remained committed to offering quality coaching communication at price points for every program. Family-owned and operated with a customer-first mentality, Sideline Power is truly the number one choice for coaching communication. Visit sidelinepower.com. By email at info at sidelinepower.com or just give them a call at 800-496-4290. And then last but never least, SkyCoach. SkyCoach is a proven sideline replay technology that will give you the advantage over opponents utilizing anything else. Uh, we see you guys all over Twitter uh, complaining about uh, a multiple different types of, of sideline replay technology and about it crashing or not working for you. I've had the pleasure of getting to use SkyCoach the past four years of my coaching career at Broken Arrow. Hasn't happened to us once, and I get the butt shot and the wide shot uh, for our offensive coordinator seconds after the play is over. Um, It's awesome. 24-7 support, a flexible network that works in any stadium, any size crowd, and the most reliable, innovative software available. To be the best, you must use the best. Don't let your team down by choosing something inferior. SkyCoach is the market leader in sideline replay. Visit them at myskycoach.com to learn more. And that is going to do it for the reads. Really excited about today's guest. On this episode, we talk with Phil Vogt. Coach Vogt is the head coach at Freedom High School in Orlando, Florida. 
Listen as we talk with Coach Vogt about his football journey through the U.S., the intricacies of the wide zone play, and his first book about the wide zone titled Installing a Wide Zone, a complete guide to the most consistent play in football. You can also check out his other book, uh, The Speed T Offense, A Complete Systematic Attack, uh, which is his other book, and you can find both those on Amazon, and we have links to those in our show notes as well. You can follow Coach Vote on Twitter at the Coach Vote V O G T. Hope you guys enjoy. I know you got the new uh, the new book out, and you've got. Uh, I know when we were first starting out, uh, we were starting to run the power. It was when you first came out. I don't know if it was when you first came out with it, but when I first saw your article, you had a big article over uh, Power O as well. So, um, really excited to talk to you. But kind of how we start them all out is and let you introduce yourself and and kind of talk about your football journey from from playing to coaching, and then kind of how that led you to where you are now. All right, no problem. All right, um, you know, like like most of us, you know, I started playing ball at a young age. I went all the way through high school. Uh, ended up going to uh, school up in Northeast Iowa, University of Dubuque. Played there. Uh, uh, while I was there, I started uh, during summer. Started volunteer coaching at a local high school back home. Uh, when I when I was home for summer, and uh, right before I would go back up for summer camps. Uh, at that point, that's when I knew that this was what I wanted to do, and. Uh, uh, the rest is history. From there, I, I went right from college into my first coaching gig and then uh, spent a couple of years at a uh, Merritt Island High School, Cocoa High School, uh, then got my first coordinating position after being on defense my whole career. My first offensive coordinator position at uh, Melbourne High School and then over to Palm Bay High School. And uh, now I'm here at my first head coach gig over at Freedom High School in Orlando, Florida. Not a bad place to start out as a head coach, I wouldn't. I would assume. Uh, my my family's actually from uh, Melbourne. I think it's Melbourne. Um, it's where my Melbourne, grandma, Florida, yeah, yeah, where my grandma used to live um, uh, before she passed. But that's where all my family, and then I got family in Orlando, um, and we've got a, uh, I want to say an uncle or somebody that that uh, does pictures at Universal. Uh, Universal. I think it's Universal Studios. So. Uh, we, we've, I've been all down that, that way a few times. So I'm sure that's, um, uh, obviously, a, a more than fun place to live, uh, and get to coach football at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of good football out here. Coach, where'd you, uh, where'd you play high school ball then? And, and did you play up in the Midwest? Is that kind of what let you to Dubuque or did you kind of have to travel a bit to, to get up there? I had a travel. I was born and raised here in Melbourne. Um, I was, uh, went to Melbourne high school and, uh, then, uh, uh, to play ball, uh, I went up in uh, Iowa. Was uh, I'm clearly real nervous about going that far away from home. Ended up being one of the best things. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big change. <laughs> oh yeah, I'd never even seen snow until my freshman year of college. It was a, oh, it was a culture shock for sure. <laughs> what were what were your first impressions of Iowa when you first got here? Because I know I was really excited when I moved here. <laughs> <laughs> it's a well, see, I went up on my visit. I went up in spring. It was nice. It was like, you know, 68 degrees and, you know, it was beautiful out. And then I went up there for the summer and, you know, the whole summer during camp, two-a-days, when people still did two-a-days. Um, I mean, it was like 78, 80 degrees. And it topped out at like 85. And then that first winter hit and it was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> do I, do I want to? 
it was down in the negatives and I'd never experienced anything like that in my life. So that was def- definitely a culture shock there. Well, I was going to say, I went down for the, I went up the first time to Iowa, uh, spring break. I think it was this year in spring break. I went up there and it started snowing on me. I was wearing, <laughs> I was wearing shorts in Oklahoma, shorts and tank tops to try to stay cool. I go up to Iowa for a weekend and it, it snows the entire time I'm there. I was like walls. I don't, I don't know what you're doing here, man, but this is, uh, this is not what I what I planned for. Luckily, I brought one jacket because I was like, ah, you never know up north. Who who knows what's going to happen? I guess so. I brought one jacket, um, but far from my Oklahoma and then my Houston roots. After that, uh, up there in, in Iowa. Harp, come on, man. Though no, Kevin Caster said it, man. It ain't Iowa. It's it's, it's heaven. <laughs> I don't know about that. He did say that, but I don't know about it. <laughs> he said it. That's true. Well, Coach, you, you've got a – you know, like I said, you, you've kind of touched on uh, power. You've touched on outside zone. You've done a, a few different things, right? And those are kind of not seen, seen as opposites. But, um, you know, a lot of the guys that say you run outside zone, you, you've got to almost be an outside zone team. You know, if you listen to some of those – some of the, um, you know, some of the big-time guys. And then, you know, there, there's a lot to say about power that you've got to be – you know, it's got to be one of your – maybe not your mainstays, but to be really good at power, you've got to run it a bunch. And, and uh, you know, a lot of the guys that are power, pin and pull. And, and so you've actually come out with a, a little bit of both. So uh, I'm kind of curious, how do you marry those up together in your offense? Uh, well, uh, I, I'm under the, uh, the belief now, um, as I've grown through uh, column plays and being on the defensive side, that whatever is going to be your play, that's the play you got to run. And if you're going to, that's the play you want to run, then you have to marry it and you have to run it against multiple fronts. You have to give yourself a multiple stunts, multiple blitzes all the time against that play. If that's going to be your base play, if you want to be effective at it, uh, I think too many times people jump around to different schemes and it gets them in trouble. So, you know, they they call this play and it doesn't work. So they call that play and it doesn't work. Or they think the defense is lined up this way, so they try to call this play, and they end up getting themselves in binds that way. You know, you end up in, you know, third and eight. You know, you get too many third and eights, you, know, you get beat. Too many times you get third and eight, and you get fired. So. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, you know, that's what we've, we've kind of tried to build on uh, power, and, and we've got a lot of other plays that we run, but we've tried to install, you know, little answers for, you know, what, what we're going to see uh, when we run power a lot. You know, so we've got the ability to run a tight power, a little bit wider power, weak power, and then obviously uh, counter off of it because, you know, like you said, if you want to be really good at something, you've got to be able to run it. And you've got to be able to have answers out of that same scheme, that same play, instead of just saying, okay, this week we can't run power because they've got this certain type of defense. we got to get into something else. And, you know, it really handcuffs you and, and you just don't, you know, to me, you just you've got to get so many reps to be good at any play, uh, and there's only so much time in the day, especially with all the, the high school and college rules that you just can't possibly run a bunch of plays enough times to be very good at them. You, you know, you got to you got to have a select few or, or whatever that number is to have, you know, to it be your play. Yeah, absolutely, and and. and he also got to take into account that a lot of defenses nowadays they run more than one front, so now you have to run it against you know, those two different fronts as well. I mean, there's just not enough time in the day to run 15 different run plays and be good at them all. Um, I mean, part of the reason why uh, we went to the wide zone was because, you know, it's it's so flexible. You can 
it can adapt to basically any front that the defense lines up in based on rule, and you can dress it up any way you want. Um, I'd say between the wide zone and the power O, that those are probably the two more versatile plays that you have. Uh, what we do is we'll choose one. We'll either be a power O team or a counter team based on the kids that we have. And so wide zone obviously is our base. And then we just kind of wait until the defense is ready. We get them fast flowing or we get them slamping. And then we try to marry it up to make it look just like wide zone when we run power over counter. That way we can take them on the path they're already going and we can hit them on the other side with power. I mean, that's why uh, with us, a lot of times you'll see power to the short side so much because we want teams flying with what they think is going to be zone strong. Uh, have you seen, you know, I, I think my first came out of college. I wasn't a big outside zone or sorry, wide zone. Uh, I know I get raked over the calls, the coals all the time, <laughs> calling it outside zone. I, I'm not uh, sure why that's, that's the, uh, that's the, the number one thing you, you're not supposed to call it, I guess, but that's the only thing I call it. So I'm getting into the lingo, but, um, it, I, I came out of college and, and we ran some sweep and different stuff and maybe some wide zone but really with no tight end so how much can it really be wide zone I don't know but anyways I get out of college I come to work for walls first thing my one of my first uh, jobs to do other than watch uh the big Lebowski was to get on and watch um all the Gibbs cut-ups on YouTube so uh are you uh you know one of the Gibbs disciples have you gone over and and kind of molded it you know to his wide zone or or what are some of the guys that that you you know look to when developing your wide zone for your offense? Um, I, I try to make it as close to the way Gibbs teaches it as possible. Um, uh, I, those YouTube videos is how I first came across them. Um, it's actually a, a funny story if you guys got time. Do I got time to tell it real quick? We, we, got, we got all the time in the world. All right, well, it's, uh, this is when I was still at Coco High School. We had, uh, we had just won our third straight state championship in a row. Uh, we had a team that was going to come down to Disney Wide World of Sports to play us out of Pennsylvania, a little uh, Catholic Jesuit school. And um, that was my first experience seeing it uh, in person, uh, the wide zone. So we're watching them on film, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on the defensive side of the ball now. And um, they got, you know, a bunch of, you know, five foot ten, 200-pound offensive linemen. They got a tailback and a fullback. They kind of look like twins, you know, but they're not very fast, you know, about maybe – Five nine, five eight, uh, maybe run you know four eight forties, and they they're just running the wide zone over and over and over again in all the film. And I'm looking, you know, we have multiple D one commits on our team. Um, I got talent all over the place, uh, and I remember sitting there thinking, I was like, Man, these guys run one play, they run a little bit of counter. I was like, I mean, they think they're gonna come down here and beat us with that. <laughs> so they came down to Disney Wide World of Sports, and and they ran that thing down our throats all freaking night. I mean, it was three yards, four yards, three yards, four yards, and he'd keep it on a quarterback boot. He'd get, you know, 20 yards when he completes the out route on the backside, and then it was three yards, four yards. And second half, that turned into 15 yards. The first first drive of the third quarter, they took it all the way into 30 seconds into the fourth quarter on an 18-play drive and score. They beat us 16-7. Uh, to uh, seven. Jeez. Wow. Amazing. And then at that point, I was riding that bus home from Disney, and I was sitting there thinking, you know, if I ever get a chance to where I'm in a position to call the offense, that that's going to be what I'm going to run. Because they were taking our, you know, our defensive linemen. You know, we had one uh, guy who went to Marshall, 
another guy who ended up getting a scholarship to UCF and, and they were just washing us all over the place. It was just so frustrating. And that, so that's why I went to the wide zone. Well, I tell you, I mean, it, if you get really, really, really good at it, it's, it can be a pretty formidable play, especially with, you know, the, the philosophy of you could play some of these more athletic linemen. Uh, your guys are going to get reached. I mean, because usually this, they say, you know, hey, we want the 300-pounders, we want the road graders up front. You know, okay, well, you're probably going to be going against a defensive lineman that's going to be more athletic. Well, all of a sudden, now you flip the script a little bit. It can put a lot of stress on a defense. And then you also said if you have a quarterback that can throw on the run or run, it gets to be a real problem because now, you know, you still have to commit so many guys to the play side. Well, if he keeps that thing or he gets out the back door – you're going to have issues because he's going to make a dude miss and it's big plays. Yeah. I mean, that's where, that's really what big play us, you know, cause uh, they, they were, we were just, we were so much better athletically than them, but uh, we would catch them, you know, at about six yards or four yards, but then they would come out the back door on, on the keeper fake after running it four or five times in a row. And, you know, it looks just the same when they, mm-hmm. when they run the keeper it looks just the same. So, you know, the linebackers are all fast flowing, the secondary is fast flowing and, you know, either that uh, that deep out route or the tight end is coming open all the time. I was going to say that was that was uh, we didn't run a whole lot of wide zone uh, when me and Walls were together. You know, Walls didn't have it a lot, but we wanted to have it. He wanted to have it enough that uh, you know we could run boot off of it because uh, Walls uh, and maybe you can talk about it a little bit more in depth. But just we're su- such a big fan of, of boot play action. Yeah, to me, the naked is 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 the nice play because, I mean, I think it's, you know, Coach has already said it a couple times, you know, outside zones, the jab, the jab, the jab, and then I'm going to throw the overhand right when I throw the naked. And, uh, you know, we had quarterbacks that could throw in the move. We had some pretty good receivers, and I thought it just, it just set up so many awesome complimentary plays off of it. Plus, you know, when you do run so much power – you know, when you're a two-back team and you, you can play some 22 personnel and you, and you smash people with power, it's such a great complimentary play, you know, to these teams that want to pinch and, and coach said to these teams that want to slant. So we'd start running the, the outside zone lead or the outside zone force back to the boundary in 22 personnel. And that's always been one of our best plays. And you go watch the Patriots. That's always one of their, their staple plays. You get down in the red zone when everyone wants to pinch. So I I think I just think those those two plays are such good plays. I, I think you, you almost kind of have to have those in your offense if you're going to be, you know, a little bit of a of a pro style scheme. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You got to have uh, some sort of zone scheme and definitely a keeper out the back door. And it's funny you mentioned the Patriots. Everyone talks about the Patriots. They automatically think of you know Brady and and you know five wide receivers and throwing it all over the place. But to me, they're the best twenty two personnel team I've ever seen ever. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They'll get in 20 personnel and just ram it down your throat if you let them. Yeah, they'll smoke in 22 personnel. And then, I mean, McDaniels will do such a good job sometimes, too. I mean, he's in 22 or 21, and he's going empty, and he's getting matchups that he wants, you know. And, and I just think that they do such a good job with that personnel package. I, I think it was a game against the Colts. I, 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 don't know if, I don't know if it was a playoff game or not, but I remember – they had the the tailback that Jonas, I think his name was Jonas Cray, like 40 carries for 200 yards. And it was all like in 22 personnel, just ISO, power, smash, lead outside zone. And then, of course, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to get him on my fantasy team. They're going to smash people. And then he misses a meeting. <laughs> and he never got to carry it again. But 
just just like you said, though, I mean, people forget that stuff. You know, Belichick would would change what he does week to week, and McDaniel's would change week to week because, you know, hey, we don't know what defense we're going to get. This is a team we we might be able to smash, and they love twenty two personnel, and so do I. I always had a twenty two package. I always will. I love that formation. I love that that uh, package of guys. Uh, I think, I mean, it, people forget about it in, in today's era of football. I mean, I find using tight end, tight end and wings places a lot of stress on today's defenses because a lot of them have, have forgotten how to line up on those formations because everybody's so spread oriented. There's no, 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 qu- yeah, no, no question. No doubt at all. Uh, uh, I'm kind of cu- curious and, and would like to talk about, you know, your defensive origins, you talked about coming from defense and then, then getting into a offensive coordinator position and obviously now as a head coach. But um, I remember going to um, – who was the guy Walls at Tulsa before you got there, the head coach? Um, it was Todd Graham. Todd Graham. So I went to a Todd Graham camp, and um, he really hit home about being – he was a defensive guy, moved over to offense, and, and when he went, moved over to offense, took everything – you know, that he said that he hated. You know, he's like, I, I hated going against this, this, this when I was a defensive guy. And so when I became an offense coordinator, I just brought all the things I hated, brought over to offense, and then, uh, you know, kind of say what you want about the guy. Uh, he, had a, he had a good offense while he was at Tulsa and, and on to Pitt uh, and, and Arizona State. But, um, yeah, so I'm kind of curious. Obviously, wide zone, that really shapes you playing against a team that ran it. Uh, was there some other things that – you were like, man, I really don't like going against this, and that kind of shaped you as an offensive coordinator? Uh, yes. Uh, our offense, uh, when I was po- coaching on the defensive side of the football, um, th- they were a, a wing T team, and um, we were a wing T team. But the jet sweep and belly G, uh, I'd say those, those three plays, wide zone, jet sweep, belly G, just I mean, they were just such a pain in the ass to defend because the jet sweep hits the edge so fast. You know, even if you got somebody running it who's not that quick because of the the motion, the speed motion, you get to the edge so quick. And it places that force guy in a real bind because if he steps outside to play the jet, then the belly G comes underneath and, you know, they can knife you for six, seven yards before the backside linebacker can get there. So that jet belly G combination and then the wide zone, those, those three plays, I think, place the defense in, in a real conundrum. And then, so those are the, the top three plays that we run. And of course, we have either Power O or GTO in there as well as a changeup. What are some things you do to dress up your your Power O and in your your counter GT as well? Is there anything else you do with that or off of that? We'll run out a lot of different formations, uh, lots of different motions. Um, I mean, that it's because we run some jet. We're going to run some jet sweep too. I mean, you get that jet yeah. guy going, you can walk guy. It can widen up the C gap for the Power O. Um, with the way some defensive defenses rock their secondary to motion, you can motion one way and run power row the other way. They take away their run support to rock with the motion because they're worried about the jet sweep the other way. When you run your GT, are you guys uh, blocking back with the fullback or, you know, whatever you call them, we call them the fullback. Are you blocking back with the H, the fullback, or are you guys reading that with the quarterback uh, more similar to what OU does? Oh, no, we're under center, so that, that fullback is riding up in there and replacing that tackle. So we want to, the reason we base out of under center is because everything is more downhill oriented in all misdirections and play actions. The quarterback has his back to the defense. Uh, they can't see the football. 
So I think it makes it a lot harder to differentiate between the different plays when you have that going on, um, especially in, uh, you know, high school kids, you know, they get lazy with the football and, you know, when they're in shotgun and stuff, they just hold that football right where the defense can see it. It makes it easier to read. And that, that's just my opinion to each their own. Well, especially I think if you're going to be a wide zone team, I, I think it's just, and maybe it's, it's from Gibbs. It's a little from Gibbs. It's a little bit from me just, just being around it. It's just so difficult to run wide zone out of anything but under center. It can obviously be done and, and people are doing it out of, you know, gun and they're doing it out of pistol and, and a lot of things like that. But to me, it's just so difficult to get what you want out of it uh, when you're not under center. And then same thing can be said, I think, about about power. It's just it, it hits uh, – to me, it just hits so much better when you are under center. But, um, but we've had a little success with it out of gun or pistol, but I've almost never had much success, uh, uh, you know, with wide zone out of anything but under center. Yeah, we have, we have the most success under center with it, uh, but uh, in shotgun, you know, running wide weak out of uh, three by one sets, you know, to the to the single receiver side, uh, that that can be pretty difficult for the defense to deal with too, um, if if your quarterback can throw it a little bit, because now the defense has a choice. You know, are they going to rock the secondary to account for the three receiver side? Well, if they do that, they don't have any run support to the single receiver side. So if that if that ta- if that tailback, you know gets past the uh, second level I mean, he's up there and he's he, the free safety is the one who has to make a tackle when he's on the island and then uh, if they don't if they stay too high then you got all your three route combinations to the three receiver side or you got the uh, leads wide lead to the quarterback if your quarterback can tote it yeah I, I always liked I mean having the ability to, to be able to do both um, under center there's there's no doubt about it I, the play actions are better under center I mean, you know, Nick Saban said it, all, all the guys have said it, you know, being able to, to give that, that hard run fake backs to the defense, you know, where I can hide the football a little bit and I can get, create a little bit of indecision and, and I can really get that secondary moving. Whereas when you're in the gun and they, and they see the ball or they, they see the higher hat from the offensive line, it just seems to, to give it away a little bit more. That's why I think, you know, naked's been such a great play because, you know, you said it, it looks exactly like the run play. And that's why I've, I've always wanted to be able to, to have the ability to, to run naked just because, you know, we, I've always gone into every single season and said, or I came out of every single season saying I should have ran more nakeds. I should have ran more nakeds because you're always like 85% completion percentage on them and you're hitting all these plays on it. And you're like, God, why don't I just call more nakeds? You know, but I always yeah, thought all, yeah. all of our biggest you know, shot plays and nakeds were so good because we were under center and we could hide the football. And it's that what you said there about the com- completion percentage is 100% accurate. And you, you look at your drop back passes and what happens with your completion percentage. And then as soon as you play action, I mean, it jumps way up. You know, I mean, uh, last year when my offensive coordinator or last year at the Palm Bay High, I mean, we, we completed uh, I think it was the low 60s, I think it was 62. I, can't, I have to get back on the computer and check. But I know for our play action passes, we completed 88% of our passes. I mean, so, I mean, what are, what are we doing? Looking, you know, <laughs> we play exactly, right? <laughs> and so, I don't know, you know how many explosive plays I'd hit off of, you know, outside zone action. Like I, I and you don't even, you know, sometimes you don't even have to run the, the play. Like I would, I'd get into tight end, you know, 21 personnel, tight end wing, two by two, or three, be end up being three by one, but receivers on both sides. And I'd fake weak side outside zone. I was never going to run that play. 
you know, we, we, for whatever reason we were going to run it, we see so much odd fronts. You had overhangs over there anyway, but it's still got the action. It's still got linebackers moving and, and you could roll out and now I could set up in the pocket, protect with eight dudes and we could crank it. You know, that was, that was Harper's favorite protection. Cause Hey, we can protect with eight guys and you only got two guys going out and you know, my, my lineman got help and everything. And, and the same thing we're, we're hitting dudes that are, that are, you know, either wide open or we're taking a shot. We're putting stress on the defense, but you know, it didn't necessarily have to play, be a play that I was even going to run. Same thing with, with counter. We didn't run a ton of counter, but you pull a guy and you have, you know, a, an H back move, like he is going to go rap for somebody. And all of a sudden now linebackers react and, and intermediate zones get open. You don't even have to run the counter play. They're just trained to do that. Right. And uh, another part of that is what, what people forget is, you know, because we're in the spread world right now, these safeties, they're taught to read two to one. And now mm-hmm. you bring a put a tight end in there. That tight end is number two. So if you run block him on the play fake, that, that safety, his first read is, is run. And he's stepping hard downhill. And if you got a post or something coming behind him, he's not going to be able to get back there and cover that pass. You know, I'm sure there are some out there that can do that. But at the high school level, it needs to be very rare you come across one. Oh, and I got a PhD in that my first year uh, out of college. I went from, you know, four wide receivers to um, on, on a lot of our big games, it was, it was uh, you know, whatever, uh, eight, nine-man protection. It seemed like, you know, either one receiver's going out, maybe only a two-man route. But uh, there were several times we went one-man route, you know, 22 personnel, faked whatever it was. And, and like you said, the safeties are reading uh, tight ends most of the time when you're in 22, 21, stuff like that. So they're going to see that. Uh, tight end go to block so they're going to see it as a run they're going to sink down and now you don't need any other receivers it's going to be one-on-one now your receiver's got to be able to win one-on-one or you've got to have a, a man beat a route with the two receivers that are out there but if he can win one-on-one you're going to get some big chunk plays and you're going to have protection 22 personnel too i mean a lot of times those corners will bite up on the play fake too especially if you've been running it at their ass <laughs> that's right you fake. You, I say you fake the uh, the zone force, and all of a sudden now you, you keep it out the back door, and, and you can you can sneak some tight ends off them. I was like that too, where you know you you base the tight end, and, and I just tell the tight end, especially you get some of these nine techniques. As soon as you see the safety commit, then you know you just delay and then you release. So you get you know get the get the safety's eyes. You know he's watching end man line of scrimmage. He sees run. He commits to you know his run support and then you could sneak in behind him with, with some of the tight ends and some of the delay routes you could run with those guys too you know North, North Dakota State is masters at that so I stole a lot of stuff from them on that um, you know the, the jump pass we ran off of our power too same kind of deal you know tight end base so you see the safety go so I mean there's just so many cool things I think you can do and again when you're, when you're hiding the football and you're under center and, and you also said it everyone's so used to seeing the spread Everyone's so used to playing seven on seven, you know, now, now you're becoming the new book on the shelf as Harper always says that, Oh my, these guys run this archaic pro style offense and, and you're able to get things done because you're the only squad that does that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it, it's all what's old is now new again, uh, especially formation wise. I mean, everyone, like you said, everyone sees a spread. They, they play the spread all year round, even in summer because of seven on seven leagues, they're playing spread. You know, they're saturated with the spread. They know how to line up against it. They know how to play it. And there's only so many route combinations you can run. And then they see it all the time. And then all of a sudden you throw a tight end or a tight end wing in the game. I mean, it, they can kind of be at a loss sometimes, including the, the coach on the other side. 
you start trading and <laughs> yeah. jumping and balance to forget about it. Yeah, that's that's one of the best things we, we started really doing heavily last year that I liked was, and, and it's a really, really easy fix to do, and I think it puts a lot on a defense, is just being able to trade your tight end. I mean, we got a little more complex with it down the road and got to switch and, and move from bunch to different things and move tight end and fullback. And, and then we even, in, towards the end of the year, got to where we could shift both of them over and have the tight end go halfway and come back, you know, once they saw us trade a lot. And, and it just puts so much on a defense. And like you said, they just very rarely see it anymore. And so uh, you're making them switch. And then especially you're making a defensive coordinator earn his money as well because there's a lot of guys that will set formations or, or stunts or blitzes, you know, to the tight end, to the formation strength. And now you're switching it at the line of scrimmage. And it just it puts so much. Or, you know, they want to put their, their three technique or their, their big D line to the strength. And now it's as easy as – as uh, shifting that, that tight end over and, and everything changes. Or, you know, maybe shifting the tackle over. You're in, uh, you know, eye left, however you want to call it, and then shift that tackle over to unbalanced over to the right. Now, you know, your tight end's on the backside as a tackle, and, and now you've just shifted to unbalanced. And now, again, like you said, safety's normally, so that safety's going to cover that tackle. Even though he's covered, even though he's a tackle, um, unless they're really, really well coached, and that takes time. Um, you know, someone's going to cover him. He's not even eligible. And they're going to be really making sure someone's covering that backside tackle, which is a tight end. It's just – it was a really good uh, shift for us as well last year. Yeah, yeah, with the, the oversets, with the tackle eligible on the backside, uh, the, the naked there can be pretty effective as well. Because they – mean, those DBs, they'll forget about that guy, especially if you haven't thrown it out of those unbalanced sets for a couple plays. I mean, because, you know, that looks like a tackle to the corner. Right, and and uh, you know some of the West Coast teams we went to, uh, they've got they've got their own uh, their play name for it. You know they got power pass, they got three different power passes. They got one to the fullback, one to the tailback, and then they've got one uh, to the to the uh, weak side with a tight end as the tackle and him going out for a power pass. So you know it's something that they do enough that they've they've actually put a whole play into it to where they can run power pass to that uh, that short side. No, I, I think, too, I mean, you even look at a bunch of the, the spread squads. I, I think, you know, everyone should have, at the very minimum, a 12-personnel package. You know, whether it's a, a big receiver, you know, especially against, you know, if, if you're in, you know, what we see nowadays, so much odd front. You know, I, I think, you know, guys can handle those outside linebackers, those, those nine techniques. I think most of them. I don't, I don't see many, you know, Lawrence Taylors out there. A lot of times they're putting a, a faster kid on, you know, at one of those spots, he's almost kind of a, a glorified safety in my mind. And just, just by lining up in ace, you know, how are you going to play eight run gaps? You know, most defenses are going to have one check to that, two if they're really, really good. So I think you, you could kind of figure out where the heck you're at, you know, getting into to two tights with, with slot to the field. You know, are they going to go corners over? Do they want to play one high? You know, I just think it, it just creates some stresses on the defense, and, and Harper said it too. And, and coach, you said it, it makes them do their homework. You know, what, what ways do you want to defend this stuff? And then, you know, I'm going to have, I think some answers and a lot of people are like, Oh, you know, you're just going to run the ball to 12. No, I, I had my entire passing game in 12 personnel, you know, and, and it, and it didn't matter. We'd throw the ball to those tight ends and use them. That's the other thing guys put tight ends on the field and then you never throw them the ball. You know, you got to throw those guys the ball every now and again, just to at least keep that defense honest. Oh yeah, absolutely. And 
you know, what makes that if you got two tight ends that can that can catch it, like they're they're legit, they're threats on both sides that you don't have to favor one or the other, and you can cause some real headaches. And, and they don't even have to be fast or anything; they just have to be able to you know catch football. You can cause That's a right. lot of headaches that way. Then uh, to go on, you know, you said everybody needs to be able to get in twenty-one or twelve personnel. I'm with you there. I mean, I think it's one of the one of the things that makes me the saddest in football when you see, you know, these teams that have a game put away and all they have to do to win is run a little four-minute offense. You know, but you know they get out there and they, and they try to go fast and you know, they give the ball back to the other team with you know a minute and a half left. When you know, even if they went three and out, they just slowed it down. You know, and, and got under center and, and got chewed up some yards and some clock. You know, maybe they give it back to him with 40 seconds left instead of 90. You know, or, or how many teams get first and first and three from the three and they're still in <laughs> shotgun? I mean, that's oh. that's what kills me. I, I mean, it almost <laughs> makes me want to want to cry for the other team when that happens. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Get get under. <laughs> All I can hear is our head coach just saying, "We should be under center. They should be under center. They should be under center." I mean. It just it almost makes no sense to me. You're you're getting back six yards and you're five yards, whatever it is, and, and you're right on the three yard line. It just uh, you know it, it's it's a little bit wild. I think I mean for me, I got three main reasons why I, I think everyone you know if you're, if you're going to be serious about this game should should base under center. Uh, for me, that's uh, one. Eventually, you're going to have to play nasty ball. It's going to be raining. It's going to be nasty out, uh, or you're going to have to put the game away late. Um, to, to win the game, to keep the other team off the field. But two, um, you know, it, quarterback sneak. I mean, how are you going to run a quarterback sneak out of shotgun? I mean, That's right. Yeah. You know, and, then, and then three is I think it's a lot easier to go from under center and jump into some shotgun stuff than the other way around. Absolutely. I, Coach, I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I, I can tell a story too. In Harper, you were there for it. It was the semifinal game in uh, 2015 uh we're we're moving the ball offensively but the other team had had kind of figured us out a couple times on defense and, and they were smashing us in in one of their their uh their heavy packages that they had i think it's like a heavy diamond package and they get down to the two yard line and they, they have a chance to go up two or three scores on us and you know we're gonna have to to press the gas pedal three, it would have been three touchdowns it would have been up three that's what i thought so they, they, they'd been smashing, smashing, smashing. Well, they were a gun team. So all of a sudden now they try to trick us, you know, on the two-yard line, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to go quarterback sneak, right? So the quarterback is in the gun, and then he hurries up and he goes to try to get up to under center. They fumble the snap. We get the ball. I think they fumbled in the end zone, so I think it comes out to the 20. We go down and score, so it ends up being a 14-point swing. They never recovered from it because after that, you know, they kind of panicked. They they got into their spread sets and they played right into our hands. We got some turnovers, and and we smashed them. But that, that one play changed the entire com, uh, you know, you know, complexion of the game. I mean, that, and that was to go to the state finals. And, and I, you, you, as you were saying that, I, I could just clearly remember that if they would have practiced being under center more, and it was probably a play that, you know, they'd maybe put in for you know, a couple of times and you practice it on a, on a Thursday against no defense, you know, all right, Hey, quarterback, sneak, sneak, you know, whatever it is. And and they mess it up. I, I was shocked. Yeah. You know, it's, they, they try to hurry up and then getting cute too, trying to do something that you don't do. Yeah. Uh, that, that's funny. You tell that story because I have one almost exactly like it, it as last year. Uh, 
or year before last, I'm sorry, year before last, we're playing for a district championship and the team was up by two touchdowns and they're getting ready to score again. And, and you know, they, they bring in a big old nose guard and they try to direct snap it to him on the one oh, yard line. God. He fumbled it. <laughs> they hit him in the hands and he dropped it. We we picked it up. We picked it up and we got the ball. We went down the field and scored. And you know, after that, it was just like that. You know, we we just they weren't ever the same. And and we came back and beat them pretty handily. I mean, just they, people try to get cute sometimes and just do what you do. Well, and I think the the good point you brought up, Walls, was um, you've got to practice. You've got to practice that stuff. Quarterback sneak or goal line. Uh, you know, center quarterback exchange. <laughs> You got to be able to practice that full live speed. I mean, we went Every to day. Rice. We went to Rice and watched it, and it was full cut, full speed tackle, goal line situation. One offense first, one defense, and they had some fumbled snaps. You know, that's at the college level. That's all they do is they're under center. You know, Rice is so. Um, you just, just seeing that high of a level still have trouble with it and have to practice it full speed. I mean, I think really pounded in my head. It's like you can. You know, say we're going to run quarterback sneak and get up there and run it on air or run it against JV, and it's just it's not the same as what you're going to feel when it's live. And you got to have a yard. We're in four point stances, and it's it's time to fight for that one yard. I just say you get what you emphasize, man. And you know, there, there's been a couple times, you know, and you start to maybe you know track it. You know, how, how many snaps are you getting a day? You know, with, with your quarterbacks. But I mean, you know, your pre-practice stuff. I mean, to me, it's just a perfect time to be able to. So, you know, get with your centers. I mean, that's the first thing we do every single day, right? Every single offensive play starts with quarterback center exchange. And I got that from John Gruden at a clinic. He's like, why, why would this not be the most important thing that you guys do? It's done on every single snap of every single game in America. And that just kind of resonated with me. You can't overlook that play. And he used to film it. I mean, he's, he's down there and he's like showing their guys are in there, like filming how he's got his hands how he's going to take the snap. And then they did the same thing when they got to, to shotgun. They'd film how he's catching the ball, where your eyes, where your feet. I mean, it, to me, it was amazing. And he's like, you should be able to get 20, 25, 30 of those things at the start of every single practice. It should be automatic. And then the other thing I always got from Dave Harper, who's the head coach at BA, was center should always have a ball. <laughs> <laughs> right? And that was, that was the simplest thing. You go, hey, we need a football. Hey, we need a football. And the center should always have a ball, period. You're the center, you have a ball, and you're always snapping it to the quarterback. I mean, I just think two simple things like that can completely change your game. And, you know, Coach Vote and, and, and I just gave two stories of, of seasons that basically ended or games they lost because they're not practicing enough center snaps. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's something that's so, uh, that's so easy to get extra of, too. I mean, just pre practice, just a matter of, you know, they'll, they'll try not to go out there early and get that stuff done. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they, like, yeah, they will. They don't want to, they don't want to go out there early, but uh, how, how I, how I handle that is, you know I mean? I keep them after they, they, as much as they don't want to go out there early, they don't want to stay after even more. Exactly. So we make them, make them take snaps after or before. And, you know, after about, you know, a couple of days into whatever season it is, spring or fall, they're out there early every day. And they take, they take 30 under center and 15 shotgun before the, uh, before practice starts every single day. Harper, I was reading a post from, uh, from uh, Coach Maddox, again, I use Dub because he's got some funny stuff. But he says, you know, doing doing stuff under center is like squatting. And he's, you know, he said doing doing stuff in the shotgun is like bench pressing. You know, everybody wants to go do the bench press. What do you bench? 
That's not right. many, not many QBs want to want to go squat. So I, I like to use that one with our guys too. But we all know that squats are more important than bench press. So for what it's worth, there ain't, there ain't a quarterback in America that you go ask, "Hey, do you want to be under center or shotgun?" They're not going to say under center. They want to stand back there and just get a snap. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Well, uh, Coach, you know, you came out. Uh, I saw the book it was two days ago or maybe a day ago. Uh, you just got the wide zone, um, how to install wide zone. So can you give us a little preview of that or, or what's that about and what, what do you got in in, it, uh, in your book? Well, uh, part of the reason I wanted to write the book was uh, I was already always talking with people about it. Um, man, all the time I was, you know, back and forth on Twitter, email, or making phone calls with people talking about it and, and then I got to thinking, you know, I remembered when I was trying to research the play and, you know, unlike, you know, every other play in football, you know, there's really not much out there on this play. I mean, the people and the people that do run it, you know, typically they're not talking. I mean, so there's just, there's just not a lot out there. I mean, you have the different video series out there uh, that you can watch, but I mean, you got to watch it, you know, several times, start picking up little things. Um, every time I watch that video series with Gibbs, you know, I pick up something new and, you know, I've been watching that for years now. Um, and so I, I just wanted to make a resource, you know, that people could go to that just wasn't, that's just not available. And now it is. And it, what I tried to do is, is make it very easy to read, uh, not fill it with a bunch of fluff or anecdotes or anything like that. And just make it so it, it's something that you could pick up. You could read it in, you know, a day or two. And it's very applicable. You, you could very easily take what's in there and bring it out to the field and and apply it without there being much question and, and wondering if you're doing it right. That's why I included the diagrams of plays. And uh, I got no film in there. I've had a, uh, some people request there some uh, some film of the indie drills in there. Uh, I'm just not that tech savvy. I don't know how to put that stuff in, <laughs> into, a, <laughs> into a Word doc. Well, I got to see you. Um, I, I saw just on Twitter you were using the uh, and and me and Walls have used that for a couple of years now. But uh, the the off of one knee pressing off that one knee uh, for outside zone. I, I love that drill. I think that's really good for offensive linemen. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what it what it can really do is show you who has fundamental flaws because uh, you know those guys who like the false step and back step, they'll still try to do it off yeah. that one knee. In that video I showed, you could see a couple of the young guys, you know, they still tried to do it. And the guy with the blue hair, uh, I like that kid. He's kind of crazy. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, he, uh, but he, uh, but he, he tries a false step in that video. And I mean, and that's what the drill is there to fix, you know, it's just to really reemphasize driving off that back foot. So you can take that lateral step and get your head outside and get running sideways. Yeah, we use the same thing for, uh, for for pass protection, and it's the exact same thing. I mean, we're using it uh, broken arrow for the exact same reason is to see who's got those flaws, who's not, you know, maybe not strong enough off, off that first leg, and, and hopefully it shows them, hey, we need to get a little stronger in your legs, but also who's trying to roll to that back leg to kind of roll off the back instead of really shoving off that front foot. It does the same thing for us on outside zone. really shows us guys how much they've got to do that. What also I think it helps is, really shows them what angle their knee has to be at to press off. And that's one of the one of the one cheats I've always found that I really like on outside zone is as uh you know, you get your knee and it's, you know, straight ahead, you you're going to have to eventually torque that knee in before your leg can push off just because of the angles of your body where 
if you'll go ahead and get that knee torqued in just a little bit pre-snap, your body can go immediately to pressing off, and it saves you that whatever it is, one-tenth a second, one-one-hundredth of a second, whatever it is, but means so much on outside zone, and, and that kind of allows them to also see that when you're doing that off of one knee. Um, a little coaching cue, we use there is turn your toes in. Uh, that automatically pushes those knees in, in exactly what you're talking about there. Uh, they seem to, to, to understand that way more. So they get in their stance and you know, I'll say toes in. And they turn those toes in, you'll see everything in their whole body just kind of tighten up. And then it also forces them to be balanced too. Because a lot of times, you know, uh, especially with young offensive linemen, they want to put all their weight on their hand because they think they, they got to fire off. Well, if they got all their weight on their hand, uh, their first step is going to be upfield. Uh, that's just physics. I mean, there's nothing they can do about it. And if they step up field, man, they've already gotten beat, especially in this play. So we, we, what I'll do is we'll, we'll practice a stance and to, and to force them to be balanced with their toes in that tightens up their lower body. And then I'll come by and, and I'll actually kick their hand. Uh, they, they, I should be able to kick their hand and they shouldn't have to step forward. They should be able to just put their hand back down and stay balanced. And then that way they can go either direction. Coach, one of the things I was, I'm always interested in with your, your outside zone combos uh, is, is the uncovered guy, the, the overtake guy. What are you kind of telling him, you know, where, where do you want him to put his, his face mask or his, his landmark or his angle? Uh, what, do you, what are you doing to kind of teach that when he's working with, you know, his partner to his left or his right and, and the guy's covered and he's obviously giving him help with the hand press or dislocating his shoulder or however you want to teach it? What are you teaching that guy on the backside of the combo? All right, on the back side of the combo, um, we want to take an open step and step flat down the line of scrimmage. Uh, his shoulders are going to have to turn, you know, at, at least a, a little bit in order to do that. Uh, what you're going to have, especially with young kids, is, is they're going to want to try to shuffle sideways because it's easier than turning and running. Uh, so you really got to focus on that and drill that step over and over where they're, it almost looks like they're pulling, but they're not taking a bucket step. They're stepping flat down the line but they're opening up and then they're just running and they're, they're aiming for the nose of the offensive lineman next to them. And so that's what they're trying to get to. And they're running, they got three steps where they're, where they're in a full sprint and they're just running to that next spot. And if on the third step, that defensive lineman has disappeared, he's going to climb. If on that third step, that defensive lineman is hanging there, He's going to shove him to the outside. He's going to shove him out so the covered guy can turn him out and run him. And then the only time that that uncovered guy is going to take that defensive guy is if he makes an inside move. And, and that, that's really the only time. Oh. Gotcha. Sometimes, sometimes you'll get guys that just sit there, defensive guys, you'll get a slug that's just going to sit there and, you know, and just, just because the offensive lineman move and he doesn't, he'll overtake him. But uh, most of the time, you know, it's not unless that guy makes an inside move because they've been coached up not to get reached. Coach, I'm kind of curious. How are you, how are you teaching your backside, uh, if, if at all different? How, how are you teaching your backside of the center offensive lineman on outside zone? Are you teaching them any different than your front side? Uh, do you have backside and front side rules? Or is it, you know, kind of everyone's on the same rules, same path? Uh, on the backside, we're on, uh, we're on full cutoff. Um, okay. They got two rules. They're, they, they're either cut or they're what I call a rat killer. Um, here they can actually take a bucket step. They can get a little depth if they want to. Um, everyone, especially in all the zone stuff, everyone gets all those front side combinations, all the love and attention. Uh, the backside is, is really where the magic happens because if you can get that backside cut off, the defense doesn't have a pursuit. Uh, so we, what we teach those guys, if, 
if there's a if there's a guy in his gap, he's cutting him. You know, it doesn't matter if he's shaded on the next man over. Uh, with that's separate backside three tech. I'll cover that in a second. But if there's a guy in his back, in, in his gap right there, we're we're gonna cut him. He's gonna take a a bucket step if he if he needs to. He's gonna take a bucket step, and we base that off of you know scout. You know the type of defensive sure. guy that we're gonna play. Uh, but he'll take his bucket step, and he's gonna take three steps, including the bucket step. So it'll be a bucket step, and then two more. And on his third step, he's taking his back arm and he's ripping it through the thigh board of the play side leg of that defensive lineman. That's what he's aiming for. And, uh, you know, those, those linemen, they're still linemen. They, they, at first, they hate cutting. They hate it. So you got to, they hate it. They just don't like getting down on the ground. So you got to make it a point of pride. Uh, we work on cutting, you know, probably more than anything else just because, you know, I want them getting used to getting down there and getting dirty. You know, I mean, and so that's just something that you have to drill a whole lot and you have to, and they have to run. And when you drill it, uh, they need to be taking five or six steps when they're drilling. If you just drill three steps, they're going to try to cut him on one step and they'll never get a sniff. Yeah. That's the biggest but mistake I see is that one step, you know, guys take the yeah. one step and go and they don't get nearly close enough. And they're, they're very rarely, if ever successful on a cut off that one step. So when we, when we drill, yeah, we drill five, six steps. I mean, I'll count out during the drill. One, two, three, four, five, cut. And then when they get into live situations, I see they're cutting on their third step or the second step sometimes. But they're usually their third step when we drill that many. And then that thir- the third step, we do that because that's how many steps it's going to take for him to get to the spot to where he can cut. And he, when he cuts through that guy, when that guy gets whacked, the whole backside of the defense gets cut off. Anybody behind that guy gets caught up in the pile. Um, people have to run around him. I mean, it just makes a nice crease for the tailback. If it does cut up, you know, there, there's no one there to make the tackle. All right, a backside three tech, all right, typically on a base rule, the backside tackle will cut. He'll cheat his split down a little bit if he has to, and then uh, he'll get that guy cut unless the Willie linebacker is in a minus situation. Um, when I say minus, I mean that that Willie linebacker is – on the backside of that three tech, like in a kind of like an under front type of look mm-hmm. where that Willie backer will, will be on the backside of the three tech there. We'll give a, a call. Um, we call it Rico, but we'll give a call to where that they're going to use inside footwork. And instead of that guard just leaving and letting the tackle cut that three, we're going to make sure that three tech gets cut off by the tackle by doing a combo back there. Cause just basically based on alignment, the defense has already cut themselves off. Sure, so guard that, the, that, the that, linebacker. He's got time. Right, right. Yeah, because that because of where the Willie is stacked up at, uh, the guard is just going to go step straight up field and give a punch with his back foot. So it's a rule breaker for us. The tackle has got overtake, just like if he was comboing on the front side. So he's going to overtake. He's going to take that flat step and he's going to get his head across. And on the second step, the guard is going to release up and pick up the Willie. And, and that, that stops that three tech from pursuing the play. But as soon as that Willie creeps over and lines up in the A gap, he can't do that because the guard will never get there. Yeah, he's got to go. Coach, what are you guys doing with a four or a four eye? Are you cutting him or are you guys reaching? And, and if you can reach past him, you're just going to keep going past him and go up to a safety on the backside? On the backside? Um, we we'll, we'll cut the four eye. We'll cut him yeah. every t- um, just about every time. Um, it's actually harder to cut the four than it is the four because the four tech will sniff us out. Um, yep. So that, that's, that's a little bit more difficult. Um, so we, we'll always try to cut him. 
in practice. But, uh, you know, when we get into live situations, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll just kind of play it by ear. We're like, well, are you getting your hat in front now? Or are they keep getting your hat in front? Uh, is he, is he coming off the ball and trying to punch you in the mouth? Well, now you can cut him. Coach, I always thought too, that, you know, the, the real magic too with, with outside zone was, was the, the angles to the second level. What, what are some things that you do to, to teach your guys, you know, to, to hit those intersect points, uh, to, to be able to get them fitted up on guys and targets that are moving? You know, what are maybe some drills or some coaching points you have for blocking the, the second level? Because you're not going to have many, you know, huge plays unless you get at least one of those guys cut off and, and maybe one guy runs himself out of a play. Um, well, what I do that's a little bit different. People kind of think I'm crazy sometimes. Um, <laughs> I, when I do those combination drills, when I'm working with just my offensive linemen, we don't use linebackers. Uh, we just the down defensive linemen, especially early on, because, you know, I want to make sure they know we're taking care of that down guy first. Mm-hmm. And then, then we'll work. And then we, then we climb on a track. Uh, once, once one of them is climbing, they climb on that 45 degree track. I want them going to a spot where the linebacker is going to be. And we take a track and, and a path that will force that linebacker to bubble over the top. Because all good linebackers, I mean, the, the good ones, the athletic ones, they knife underneath. They'll knife underneath you every time and make a play for a one-yard gain. So we can't have that. So we take a path that forces them to either take us on and, or bubble over the top. And by bubbling over the top, even if he makes the tackle, well, at least we got four or five yards, you know, if he bubbled over the top. But, uh, but we can't have them knife underneath. So we take that 45-degree path. Uh, the problem that I was seeing when, uh, when I would put those dummy guys out there to be linebackers is, you know, when I was doing an individual group with them, is, you know, now I got a slow lineman out there trying to play linebacker, and, and that's what they were getting used to. So exactly. they were, when, I get the, when I get in the live situations, they're going to where the fat lineman is going to be, not where that linebacker is going to be. So, so it was something they had to get used to a whole different speed. So when I see in live situations where we're having trouble getting to the linebacker, then we'll bring over the linebacker group, the actual linebackers, and we'll work a group period with them where the linebackers can work scrape and we can work cutoff angles. See, that was one that's of the things I always liked. Like. Yeah, that's, that's what I always liked with, with walls when we were trying to work more wide zone is it, it's really hard to get that timing down uh, in Indy. It's almost like you've got to get some real live reps with linebackers. And so we did a little bit of half line uh, outside perimeter stuff uh, with our wide zone and, and allowed us to see, like you said, the flow of what a real linebacker is going to be like, not what a, you know, five eight forty guy is going to be like at linebacker. Yeah, who's also tired as hell from running indie all practice. You know, he's, <laughs> he's going to loaf back yeah. there. You know, he just – he just spent, you know, probably two or three times going through the drill blocking, and then I put him back there, at, you know, as a dummy guy. And you know, it's just, it, you know, I just found my headaches went down a whole lot more when I just worried about the down guy and then the proper track that we were going to take. And, you know, because good linebackers are going to flow to those tracks anyways. And yeah, was, <laughs> what, we also, what we also tell that guy, uh, the uncovered guy, if the uncovered guy ends up climbing, he never chases play side. If that linebacker disappears, he's looking for the next one coming. Because if that uncovered guy is the one climbing, that ball's cutting up. Because that means that, that that defensive lineman took an outside path. And then it's vice versa the other way. If the covered guy ends up climbing, he'll chase that guy. He'll chase that linebacker. 
you know, because that means the ball is going to bounce. Yes. Yes. That's awesome stuff. I, I love the half line stuff and I, I got it from the Broncos Harper. I used to go to a bunch of their practice when I lived in Colorado. So when Gibbs was out there, that was exactly how they taught it. And it was always just the, the front side of the play because they knew the backside you were going to be cutting and they didn't want to cut their own defense. And it was the NFL. They got to keep their million dollar mm-hmm. players safe, but you know, they, they loved the drill just because it was, you know, full speed tag out you know, tempo. So the defense had to learn not to get reached and how to play reach blocks. And, you know, for us, it was great because Jenks was going to run a bunch of outside zone. And then at the same time, you know, it, I thought it was a great conditioner for, for both groups too. You could kind of start, start off the day, Hey, go five, 10 minutes of, of, you know, half line outside zone. It, it's, it's football related. It's conditioning. They're working on skills. We don't want to get reached. We want to try to reach them. It was competitive. I, I just thought it was a, a fantastic drill that we could get done. And, and at the same time too, we, we hit on it earlier, the quarterback's taking a bunch of under center snaps. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Anything you can do to increase the repetitions there. Uh, something I forgot to touch on on the backside, uh, uh, the rat killer, the guy, uh, when we're on the backside and there's nobody in the gap that we're uh, trying to scoop, uh, that guy, he becomes what's a rat killer. He's got the linebacker. He's going to take a pass directly to where the linebacker is going to be. And we call him a, a rat killer um, just uh, uh, for a coaching point. And uh, so, so they're thinking about what they have to do. And what he's doing, he's going to where that linebacker is going to be. Most of the time, the linebacker is going to beat him. You know, that's why he plays linebacker. But we keep chasing that guy until he gets picked up by a frontside combo, and then we'll go to the safety. Right? If he's not picked up by a frontside combo, we keep chasing him because the ball is going to cut up. And when that linebacker tries to plant his foot and come back and make a play, we hit him in the ear hole and squash the rat. Yeah, I love that. And that, that's one of those effort things that you've got to really get put in in the back where, you know, in the backside. And, and that's where you see, you know, like you just said, you see a lot of big-time runs because – now running backs are, are cutting, they're getting vertical. Uh, that linebacker thinks he's got it, but you get to flow through them and you actually hit it right behind that linebacker and, and you see some really big plays with it. Uh, we've had a lot of luck with uh, if you're the guy with no one in your gap, we're aiming at the next down defender. We're aiming at his butt off the snap and that's kind of the angle we're taking uh, to try to get up to that linebacker. It's kind of our angle, uh, if you will, for where that linebacker is going to go. Um, and, and it's kind of helped us out a little bit as we've as we've changed to that. But um, I, I love that that you're talking about that, and, and that to me comes down to uh, being able to coach in effort from those guys where they trust you that it could be a big play if they give that full effort, even on the backside away from the play. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the great things about coaching offensive line is you know. Uh, yeah, you know they want to be lazy and stuff, but usually you got some pretty good kids and they'll give you effort. I mean, you can get that out of offensive linemen. I mean, they'll almost always give you effort. And that's just one of the great things about coaching that spot. You just got good kids. Yes, it is. That makes, that makes life a lot easier. Well, coach, we're coming up on uh, rolling up on an hour. So kind of the way I, I, we end all these is, is ask my final question is, is always um, when you're watching another team's offensive line, uh, what's some things they'd be doing that would make you think really highly of their offensive line coach? Uh, the first thing I look at, you know, when I'm scouting the offensive line is their feet. I mean, are they all stepping in the right direction uh, or, or are they all false stepping? Uh, one of, to me, one of, the, one of the good indicators that offensive line is coached up is are, are they all gaining ground on that first step? 
or are they false stepping or stepping backwards or chopping their feet, stutter stepping or popping up? Because uh, if those feet aren't gaining ground on that first step, then they, they just gave the defense an advantage. But if those feet are gaining ground on the first step and they're consistent with it all the time, that usually means they're pretty schooled up and you're, you're going to have a hard time. I couldn't agree with you more. And it's something that, um, you know, especially I think at the high school level, it gets really overlooked, you know, people that, that first step and, and uh, it's like, you can drill it. You know, we take a lot of, we do these, we call pipes where we take our two steps and, and get used to gaining ground. But it's almost, it almost doesn't matter how many times we do that. When it's time to go full speed, it, it's almost like they revert right now back to stepping backwards or, or false stepping, like you said. And it's like, you just got to get a lot of reps of doing it the right way, full speed, gaining ground on those first two steps. Yeah, yeah, especially, especially like you said, especially in high school, so much can, can be predicated on that first step. Because, uh, I mean, first of all, those defensive linemen are more athletic than, than offensive linemen in almost all cases. Right. That's why they play defensive line. You know, and then now if you're, if you're false stepping or not gaining ground on that first step, I mean, you just gave them an advantage. Uh, I hear a lot of people talk about how important the second step is and I used to be in that uh, that camp too until I heard an I can't remember who it was. I heard an offensive line coach telling telling a story about being in a phone booth and in a fist fight for your life. Do you want to be the person who swings second or first? You know that kind of changed my outlook on that. You know, and so that that first step, you know, where you're gaining ground and you're covering ground on that first step to get in the position to where you can take that second step. You know, and, and so my my emphasis became a lot more on the first step after that. That made just made sense to me. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.